Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Sage Advice Podcast. With me today, I have the amazing Ms. Amanda Marie. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm all right. I'm exhausted because it's, you know, holidays, but I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah, like the in-between time. I saw all these memes about the time when Christmas is over, but before New Year's, it's yeah, like time that disappears in a vacuum or something. Well, we have to go... Um, to Wisconsin right after this for Christmas with my partner's family. So, okay. Yeah. So I'm about to have to get in the car for four hours, but yeah, it'll be all right. Yeah. It'll be worth it. <laughs> um, cool. So Ms. Amanda, can you please tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, what you do? And I'm Ms. Yeah. Amanda Marie and I, am 35 years old and I've been a model slash producer slash porn fetish you know I kind of I do a lot of things and I've done that since 2009 or 10 uh so I've been in the business for a really long time uh but I'm I'm mostly a creative at heart I like to craft and make things I like to write and I like to let my creativity come through in my porn work as well and, you know, come up with fun, elaborate stories and really get into it. So, yeah, I'm an artist that I think artist is like the good term for just everything that I do. But, uh, yeah, kind of jack of all trades. Yeah, definitely. So I know that was something, you know, I know a little bit about you already and that it seems like when we first met, you were, and maybe you still do a little bit, I'm not sure, but uh, doing like the traveling model thing. So you're kind of from the Midwest and you were mm -hmm. like getting in your car. And can you explain that to some people? Because I think uh, that's not a common thing that your average sort of layman right. person um, uh, fan would understand how the traveling yeah, well, model thing works. Oh, absolutely. Well, so I, these days I don't really travel like at all, uh, but that's just because of my health issues and lupus and all of that. But in my, in my heyday, <laughs> it was very much, you know, because travel funds travel. So if I'm going to go mm -hmm. to a city and you know, try and make some money there. Part of the money that I'm making there is what's bringing me to the next city. And it's right. just an ongoing cycle that once you're in it, it's easier to stay in it, even if it's a tremendous amount of work. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, a lot of like, 
just networking and trying to get in contact with different photographers or producers in an area, dealing with the customer service angle that is that, you know, hoping that everyone's safe, checking references is like a really in-depth process with many steps to it. And then you get into deposits or, you know, all it's a big headache, but then you actually get to mm-hmm. leave. And sometimes you're just going to one place, but what I used to do was like tour. So I would decide on the cities that I was going to and give myself enough time to get there and then line up shoots until I have to pack up and go on to the next place. Um, And I was just talking to my partner about this today. Half the time it became easier to just, it it was learning how much should you unpack if you're going to be home for a week versus like two days, like living out of a suitcase and just doing laundry and putting it right back in. I kind of miss being super busy all the time. And I'm hoping that at some point I can get my myself to a good situation where I feel more comfortable going out and traveling again. So you would want to pick that back up, like get back into the the traveling model model yeah. of work. <laughs> well, and not so much like I don't need to do what I was doing, which was constant all year long, always, yeah. always, always. And you know, I didn't have a good home base that I wanted to be at anyway because it was right. you know, usually toxic or abusive or something. So I just I lived on the road. But I think what I would prefer to do now is maybe like I don't know let's say four tours a year so one per season and on that tour I go to a place that makes sense to me on that tour so like if it's winter Mm -hmm. I'm gonna go places that are warmer like yeah exactly yeah I I think that's what I would like to be able to do in the next couple of years and then how so how long would you stay out on tour if you did it that that way like once a season like two or three um, weeks or uh, yeah yeah two or three weeks is probably because then I have a few days in each you know place that I'm going to and you know some mm-hmm. places I'll need more time than other places um so like New York is a place that I always used to take a lot of time um yeah I took two to three weeks every time I went to New York if not more um, yeah, and just hitting that whole area, Jersey. Yeah, I miss I miss getting to go places and see things. And I yeah, I totally get that more now than I did at the time because at the time I was going yeah. through stuff in my personal life, so I didn't really get exactly. to fully appreciate all of the experiences that I was having. Yeah, yeah, it can be hard. Uh, well, I remember like times in my life that were not the best and it is hard to appreciate the other stuff you know when mm-hmm. you're dealing with some some really toxic bullshit well it's that whole uh, hierarchy of needs thing like if, yes you know, exactly. if you're you need to have all of your needs met to even be neutral and then you can right. appreciate everything mm-hmm. um, but yeah, if you're yeah. low on some of those base needs uh yeah it can mess with everything else too Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was just, you know, when you were talking about essentially being an artist, it just made me mm-hmm. think of that, uh, the touring stuff, because I know you were doing like a lot of specifically like art modeling, right? Like, uh, yeah, there's always image. a lot of that. And then just sort of general glamour, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where it's like, just like the basic gut, you know, porn face and be hot and, <laughs> and 
you know what I mean? Like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, but you know, you a lot of that a, bread and butter. Mm-hmm. But you'd get a lot of fetish work as well on your tours, right? Yeah. Well, and especially when I was at like my prime and doing like most of what I was doing was fetish work at one point, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. doing heavy bondage all over the country and, you know, different kind of niche stuff. But every trip would be very much like just a huge combination of things. Um, Cause I'd have people who were hiring me for fetish work and then people who were hiring me for art stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so that, I mean, that's something that's kind of nice um, about traveling too, is that you're not necessarily doing the same thing every day. Yeah. Something a little different with, depending on who you're working with. And mm-hmm. so the uh, sites that I would use, I've tried doing this traveling model thing. Of course, I live in my van some, a lot of the time. Right. And so I'm definitely doing that in one sense, but yeah. not in the sense of like, you know, when I first started in the industry, like 20 ish years ago, I was using sites. So there's it used to be a site called One Model Place. Yeah, and there's still, place. yeah, and there's still currently a site called Model Mayhem. And so it yeah. connects models with producers and photographers and directors mm-hmm. and, and connects all those people together and stuff. So, but for me, I struggled to like use Model Mayhem as a tool for booking, uh, you know, like several shoots in one city or whatever. Like, yeah. for, like that always sort of eluded me. But is is that was that where you were mainly well, getting I ended um, up, these or? Well, I, I ended up using you know different social media sites as they emerged. Um, but model mayhem remained like my number one tool. Um, and I've definitely heard from other models that they didn't have any luck with model mayhem and they would tell me they had better luck with this site or that site. And I had horrible luck with those sites. So that's always a thing, but it's one of those things that you have to pay for it if you really want to get the most out of it. And definitely. so when you pay, like I'm, I'm still paying. I just let it continue. Um, you get more yeah. photos, which is less important than the real tool, which is having folders. You can make folders in your inbox. And so I'd have a folder mm-hmm. for every different city. And yes. then I would um, browse users and look at people who had been active recently and oh. um, in different areas and stuff. And mm-hmm. just finding you know cold calling people essentially and then as those people responded i if they if we set something up especially but if they were like you know we're in the process of setting it up i put that in the folder for that city and then next time i go to that city i have all of those people that that and some people who are like oh man it doesn't work this time let me know next time I have all those messages in one place. Yeah, I do that a little bit with my, yeah, with like with my Gmail. I have a couple, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just like that on like a, yeah, bigger scale. And some states have multiple folders, you know, because like in Mm. Texas, you're not, you can't put like the Austin with whatever the, I still am not clear on the geography of Texas, but I know it's a huge state. It is. It's a huge state. So you can't have a folder just for Texas. You have to split it up. Each area. Yeah. Yeah. So have you found work, either models to 
trade with or photographers work with or people to shoot with in in like literally every state because sometimes I drive through you know like South Dakota North Dakota right I would have Kansas. to look, I'm like oh. I would have to look through my stuff but uh, a lot of states because some yeah I mean I haven't been to Hawaii or Alaska okay um but outside of that uh I mean, just about every state. There's there's a couple of states that, you know, I might have one contact that I got from a model who has one guy that she shoots with in the middle of nowhere between this state yeah. and this state. And so we stop and shoot there or whatever. Um, like I have, there's this guy in Iowa that I'm like, well, if I ever go to Iowa, uh, there's yeah. this guy and he pays pretty yeah. well. So it's worth it to make the stop. So it becomes yeah. like that. And I think guys, the photographers or producers in those areas that are sort of remote, they know they need to make it worth your time. So exactly. you'll have like a whole day shoot with somebody in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I have, I definitely have a lot of one-offs like that too. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've been everywhere. I love that. Have you ever traveled overseas or internationally to work? Um, well, I've done... Uh, in the more recent history, it's really just been like Canada, but not for work. I, I, when I was a teenager, I went to uh, Thailand and I think uh, Burma or it's Myanmar now. Myanmar, um, yeah. Laos. And I kind of, oh, cool. I went over there, um, which was cool, but was I was, you know, 16 and yeah. Definitely. Just travel. <laughs> yes, just as travel. Um, yeah. Fun fact about Thailand that I just learned because I think it just happened this year. Uh weed is totally legal over there. Oh my god, that's incredible. There's stores. Yeah. Oh, can, I had not heard that. That's amazing. Oh hell yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just came back from this trip to Europe and we're like, well, you know, we didn't land in Amsterdam. So we had a, you know, maybe like a week and a half before we had access to weed and uh, yeah. we were like, we're fine, we're fine. And then, um, fuck dude, by the time, when we got to Paris, a friend met us and brought us some weed. And like, when I took that first hit, I mean, I was having issues. Yeah, <laughs> I took that. that first hit and I was like, oh my God, everything's going to be fine. And like, <laughs> I didn't realize how badly I need, how badly we need it. Yeah all the time so mm -hmm. i was just like man okay so i guess we're not traveling to any countries that don't have legal <laughs> weed <laughs> and so i was like well there goes my plans for thailand and then we saw this whole special Never about mind. like fuck yeah we're going to thailand uh, oh my god i i have always <laughs> said that i would like to die in thailand like i definitely want to yeah. go back yeah i definitely want to go back it's uh it's beautiful yeah, i can't wait to see it so you mentioned uh, something about health issues and, and lupus. And I want to mm -hmm. circle back to this because, you know, uh, you are one of probably, I can think off the top of my head, of four other people that I know personally in this industry who have been diagnosed with lupus. And really? I don't know, a ton oh yeah, I don't have a ton of information about how that works. So maybe you could talk about that a little bit, but okay. also the thing being that this is, that's the example that I often use, you know, when people talk about sex work in general mm -hmm. and I talk about how, you know, if, uh, 
like I've got my own fucking issues, but diagnosis like that. And Mm -hmm. just thinking about people who, you know, struggle, uh, with a diagnosis like that and have to work a a demanding job that insists you are there, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five. If you call in sick, it's a big deal. You're losing money, whatever, you know, and probably would get fired. But it's like, if we have these issues, we can work in the sex industry, make a living. We can work for ourselves and take time off when we need it and come back mm-hmm. and take us when we're feeling better. So I would love to hear you talk a little bit about lupus and then talk about what that sort of means to you in the context of sex work. Right. Okay. Um, so lupus is uh, autoimmune. So that's, you know, your body attacking itself. <laughs> Yeah, um, and specifically, it has to do with like uh, I I've read some things that it's tied to like poor cell turnover. So when your red blood cells die, like they're supposed to, eventually they they have yeah. their own whole life cycle and they die. They don't get eliminated from uh, the area fast enough, and white blood cells run into them and. Mm-hmm. White blood cells have to have specialties. Um, so once it destroys something, now it specializes in destroying that thing. So it tries to destroy this red blood cell, but now it knows to destroy red blood cells. And so the fight ensues. So yeah. that's sort of like on a really, really, really base level. Um, but yeah. no two lupus patients are the same. Everybody has their own unique set of symptoms. Um, but the real danger with lupus comes in, uh, organ involvement. Um, like once it starts, once it gets to, you know, your kidneys is a big one. A lot of people end up having, uh, kidney transplants. So that's a big one. Um, I have heart involvement, which sounds super scary, but it's, It's really early on and being on medication for lupus is about halting or slowing down um, organ involvement. So okay. uh, since I'm medicated now, I'm not super worried about that getting worse because now I'm keeping an eye on it. It's something that we're aware of. Uh, yeah, so it can affect different uh, different organs and then those organs are, you know, they have their own things that happen because of lupus but they're also more susceptible to different types of diseases um cancer is also something that happens in people with lupus so it really just like opens you up to like you're just more vulnerable to everything and so it could manifest in many different ways um so everybody has their own unique thing but it also is degenerative so it, it definitely especially if it's not treated can just get worse with as you go And mine um, really started kicking in when I was in the midst of all of my traveling and touring and stuff. Yeah. So that's kind of when I really started to experience like pain that should have been debilitating, but I didn't listen to my body because I had to work. Right. Right. (laughs) So I did a lot of like, you know, just, and I didn't know that I had lupus, obviously. I thought I had fibromyalgia and it turns out I do, but I- also have <laughs> uh, known to kind of you know get worse with time too so I expected it to get worse but it turns out it was also lupus um yeah 
And I just can't do that to myself anymore. When I think about, when I think back on all of the times I was in so much pain in some cold ass warehouse against a hard floor, trying to look hot. And I'm like, yeah, no, I could never, I could not do that to myself. Squeezing you and yeah. Yeah, no, I care more about myself now, (laughs) like my, you know, physical body. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, but I think sex work has always been something that attracts, I mean, just disenfranchised people in general. Um, yes. But like, you know, you know that, I mean, particularly as as a woman um, or female presenting person, um, you kind of know that that's like always a last resort because you know that it'll work, that you can get yeah. someone to pay you. That's like always something that's in like the emergency toolkit for a lot of women, whether or not they would like acknowledge that. Yeah. I always say like one one thing for like, I'll never, I'll never starve as long right. as I got the pussy between my legs. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and you know, especially if we have people who depend on us, like kids or anything like that. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I know that that is a way that I can make money at the end of the day, everything else. Exactly. like. I can, I can make money that way. Um, yep. And I think a lot of neurodivergent and disabled people are drawn mm-hmm. more to sex work, partly because of just the entrepreneurial nature of it, that you can make your own decisions, but also just because, oh my gosh, I'm having a brain fart now. It's completely gone. That's another lupus thing though, too, is like the brain fog I just, I will just forget what I'm going to say. In the middle of a sentence. Yeah. It's it's like I'm high all the time. Yeah. I just want to say, don't ever feel too bad about that or, or attribute it too much to that diagnosis because Mm. oftentimes, you know, I'll walk into a room and I'm like, what am I doing in here? And I feel like that's pretty ubiquitous. I mean, like, I will just sit here and be talking and I'm like, fuck, I have a brain fart. What was I saying? I mean, right. You know, not not to yeah. take anything away, but just saying that, like, sometimes I'm like, oh, fuck, you know, is my brain losing it now? Is this it? Is it happening? Yeah. Like, <laughs> take a survey of those around you. They're all doing Oh, this absolutely. <laughs> I definitely see it happen to other people all the time, which is For sure. a comfort to me. <laughs> exactly. Like it's a comfort. Has no idea what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, but yeah, um, you were just talking about, because it is true. I mean, you know, people that have these sorts of disabilities, whether they're invisible or visible, whether um, the neurodivergencies, all that stuff. It's like mm-hmm. there just is opportunity here yeah. for, you know, if you're the type of person that is like, well, I could see taking off my clothes for money. You know, it's right. then it's, if you can see that and then you you realize the sort of freedom that you have over your own life or the, um, yeah. you know, you're not going to like, no one's going to fire me because I can't come in today. Cause right. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I well, and I definitely think, uh, sex work also sort of attracts, you know, people who have been disenfranchised by other, you know, industries or businesses or just trying to work and finding it difficult because, you have needs that other people around you maybe don't have. Um, You know, sex work is also for some people, for many people, I hope it's for most people, but it can be um, empowering 
because a yeah. lot of people who say that they would never do sex work, it's not because they think there's something wrong or reprehensible about it, but because they don't think that they could pull it off. And as yeah. you get into it and start seeing that you're getting positive feedback from people who specifically like what you bring to the table, that you don't have to yeah. pretend you don't have to suck it in or whatever. They like yes. what you are. That can be a yes. confidence booster. And you know what I mean? Like, it oh, yeah, find yourself conventionally attractive or whatever. Um, yeah. There's still plenty of people who would jerk off to that happily that are looking for, for Sure. For yeah. sure. And I talk about that a lot, uh, probably on this podcast, but that, that thing of being like, oh, this thing bothers me. You know, my right yeah. knee, God, if it was just a little different. And then you get out there, you put your shit all over the internet and you get a bunch of people saying like, God, your right knee is so fucking hot. <laughs> so specifically. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So you have a little bit of a journey with that, if, if we can talk about that a little bit. Oh, because absolutely. when I first met you, you were very very, very thin. Mm -hmm. And um, now you look very, very uh, uh, voluptuous. Voluptuous. I was <laughs> going to say voluptuous. I was going to uh -huh. offer it. You didn't say it. I was ready. Yeah. <laughs> um, and well, so I don't, I don't want to shame... You. I don't want to shame skinny bodies and I don't right. want to shame, I don't want to shame bodies, period. That's what yeah. we're, that's what we're all about here. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think a big <clears throat> expectation for this industry, maybe even just on ourselves or people who mm -hmm. aren't involved is like, oh, no, you've all got to look a certain way and be a certain body style and all this. Right. But I think for, like you're, you're a good example of someone who's kind of been in all both those places and yeah. yeah I'd love to hear your experience with sort of your body style shifting and how that felt for you and what the sort of reaction was and stuff oh yeah um well yeah so when I first started modeling um back in you know 2009 2010 I was pretty skinny at the time um and I stayed around 100 pounds for most of my career um, when I met you, I was the skinniest I had been in my modeling career. Um, wow. and that had to do with my home situation at the time. And yeah. the fact that I didn't even, I couldn't even enjoy food. Like I, I was so racked with anxiety at all times that I couldn't even yeah. enjoy eating. And I was doing it to live. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that, that sucks. Uh, but that, just all of the stress I was under showed on my body in that I was extremely skinny. Um, yeah. And I was, you know, I was getting work and it, you know, it was great, especially like the glamoury type stuff. Like I, I got tons of that during that time. And yeah. then close to when I turned 30 is like the closer I got to 30, the more I started to find myself putting on just like a few pounds here and there and like noticing it um, specifically mm -hmm. since I was traveling with a girl who was also very petite and mm. you could see the difference between us in photos. It started to happen. Um, right. And part of the reason it started to happen is because I got out of that toxic situation and I was advocating yeah. for myself again and yeah. being more in control and starting to enjoy eating which I had yeah. never really done. Like, you right. Know, um, so then that just, you know, led me 
more towards gaining weight and I became more, um, I don't know what the word is like sedimentary or I, I don't know. Sedimentary. But I stopped being active as much yeah. because of yeah. pain and that becomes like a, a whole thing. So then I've just continued to gain weight. Um, and it was really, it was a lot and I, it's still something that I struggle with. Um, mm-hmm. but it, for the longest time, I, I think I was raised to sort of view being fat as something that you don't want to be like, yeah, my family made like fat jokes and stuff. And that was like yeah. a thing. And, you know, so I always kind of had it in my head that like being fat is, you know, something I should never be. Right. Um, so when I started to gain any weight at all, I was, you know, super conscious of that. And I have a history of disordered eating. Right. Um, I was a teenager. So mm-hmm. it was a little scary at times. And then there was a point that where there was, there was sort of a tipping point where I started to realize that I needed to stop trying to pose my body as though it was a smaller body. Like I was mm-hmm. expecting the same poses and everything to look, to be able to cheat them somehow and like achieve right. the same thing, even though I've got extra stuff here that I didn't have before. Yeah. Um, I was doing that for a while and it was making me so uncomfortable and really affecting my confidence during shoots. So then I just decided, okay, what looks good? What do I like in, you know, what makes me feel sexy in the size that I am now? I really started taking inspiration from sort of those Renaissance paintings, you know what I mean? Of just yes. those, like voluptuous women, like goddesses and stuff. And I'm like, I really, yeah. really like that. So that was good. But I definitely get less like just, you know, glamoury stuff. I get less of it. I get art stuff mm-hmm. and I get fetish stuff. And, but I, I, yeah, I don't get as much of those because that's, you know, in modeling, they're kind of, a lot of places are looking for that specific body type. Now that's different than in porn where everything goes. So when I'm making my own content, I've done so much better being curvy than I did when I was super skinny. So it's really interesting to see how it's different. Mm -hmm. Standard modeling versus porn. Porn is more inclusive. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. So it's kind of more, or when we talk about porn, it can almost even, we can almost look at what you're talking about in the sense of when we make for ourselves, for the fans to purchase Mm -hmm. from us, we are seeing sort of more the actual demographics of taste and sexual appetite. Whereas when we are, you know, maybe, and it's easy to do this too, but like sort of basing our confidence or self-worth on who's hiring us. Yeah. Whether it's photographers or or producers or fucking Mm -hmm. agents or whatever, they have this very strict concept of like what is supposed to work, be mass marketable versus like the reality where we sell directly to fans and customers and Mm -hmm. and people and people are like, well, I like a little bit of this here, extra of that there. And, you know, but it's like the taste are widely varied um for certain you know for the people who hire us it's like no it has to fit in this box and absolutely well and that uh, is really reflected in bondage because modern day 
people, women who like bondage, who like being tied up, who are available to model bondage, um, mm -hmm. often have tattoos and piercings. Yes. And we like pain. We're, you know, pain is acceptable to us on however many levels. Right. But the people who are hiring for bondage stuff have their own kinks in the way. And they want to yes. see girls who are, you know, not tattooed or alternative yeah, looking yeah. in any way. Right. And mm -hmm. that's becoming rare, rare, more rare in general. Um, yes. But definitely in like kinky spaces, like people have tattoos, like you're, you know, it's like this boomer kink for like your yeah. best friend's mom growing up tied up like this. <laughs> exactly. Because, exactly. you know, when you were a child in the seventies, your, your best friend's mom was not tattooed. Didn't <laughs> she have was a good Christian woman. <laughs> That's exactly. what she wants to be. Well, and now I'm curious, I, I hate to ask the question, well, how'd you get in the industry? But like, we could maybe start somewhere about, you know, what's, uh, what kind of life were you living before as far as like earning an income? And then how did that shift happen towards sex work? For sure. Um, so I was working retail. I, I got right into it at 16. I worked in a grocery store. And then I, um, when I was 19 is when I sort of moved. And then I started working in a mall and I worked numerous jobs in the mall. Um, but I was also you know, super goth at the time and, yeah. you know, ended up having friends who were, you know, metalheads or goth as well. And then I started going to, um, the goth night at a bar, like an hour and a half from where I lived. There were a fr people in our friend group who would make trips up there, like carpool together and go out. Um, was this all Midwest? Is that yes, yes, Ohio Midwest? specifically. Okay. Being in that scene is, you know, being exposed to because I was homeschooled and stuff. I didn't know anything about oh. being goth. I I knew that I liked, <laughs> I liked the way they looked in the Matrix, and I really okay I yeah. allowed to watch the Matrix for some fucking reason. Um, it's cause it was a Bible allegory. That's, yeah, that's right. One of the many allegories. Absolutely. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was kind of my first introduction to being like, oh my gosh, like I want to be goth. And then the more I learned gotcha. from the internet, the more I wanted to be a part of that. So then when it became an option for me to go out and dance and listen to, you know, secular music, oh, <laughs> You know, it was a lot. So that, that was, um, what I wanted. Um, uh, but I also, yeah, I, I also kind of had thoughts about wanting to be a stripper since I was like a kid. Thank you. Yes. I can't even explain that. I, I just, Same. I just wanted to do it. So yep. I already Same. was open to sex work in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and then going and to goth clubbing was like, you know, just being yeah. surrounded by like sexual energy all the time. Yes. I was going to um, say like, you feel when the last time, a few times I've, like, I've gone into goth, goth clubs and I'm like drinking, having a drink and I'm like listening to the amazing music and I feel like I'm surrounded by my people. Yeah. You know, like yeah. you just feel like you're like I feel so sexually empowered right. in that environment. I feel very like that yeah. was where I first kind of learned 
what being feeling like sexually empowered even was, but I was in yes. this environment where it was okay for me to sort of, you know, to live out some of these like thoughts that I've had forever about like dancing mm -hmm. and, you know, sort of performing as well, yeah. because yeah. that's what I gravitated towards doing. They saved a spot on the yeah. stage for me and I would dance there. People would watch me and yeah. I loved it. Um, and then I met a photographer there that shot a bunch of the girls and they asked me if I wanted to you know, try being a model. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, yes, I want to do that. You know, from there, it just kind of, I, I started to meet other people who also did, you know, and then photographers would have my images that they would post. And then someone else who's, you know, in the business would see my images and then reach out to me. And that kind of just like happened, but I was very lucky um, to meet some like people who were pretty big in like specifically like the nude, like art sort of photography. Um, right. I, you know, I got connected to some of those people really early on, which increased my reach before I was even like, you know, accessing like a fan base or anything. I took yeah. so long to start building a fan base that I, I barely have one now. I barely mm. do. I have like 3000 mm. followers on Twitter and every day I am ashamed. Of it. <laughs> no, um, Twitter's yeah, not the be all end all either. Of, I know. Like, it's not but, great oh my for God. Yeah. I'm like, I've been working for so long and I get on Twitter and no one knows who I am. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. <laughs> Well, the social media aspect is so much work, you know, yes, it is. like getting yourself out there is so much work. And yeah. if you started in the business, you know, after social media was a thing, it's I feel like it can be pretty difficult to build yourself up yeah. with regards to numbers. And like I said, like I look at the numbers, and I'm like, wow, that's impressive. I'm impressed with myself. But I know that you know, probably more than half of them are just bot accounts or, you know, it's <laughs> I try to remind myself of that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, and I also get a little fans. sad every time there's a bot cleanse and I lose some numbers. I'm like, oh, exactly. great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I to, you know, all just to say, like, try not to put too much stock uh, in just those numbers, you know, it's right. more like, who do you hear from and yeah. in what ways, but but uh, so yeah, I just I gotta circle back now because this this comes up all the time uh, on this podcast. It sounds like you were raised in a somewhat religiously oppressive uh, situation. Mm -hmm. So what what uh, what brand was that? And was there a a moment? I mean, was this the moment that you realized, like at the dancing at the clubs, that you were kind of like maybe there's more to this life, or you know, what what was that journey like for you? And, and um, how is your family with you now? Oh, the, yeah, that's a whole thing. Um, so <laughs> my family, it's difficult. It was fundamentalist evangelical, but yeah. I had more rules inflicted on me than some of my peers who were also in that, you know, cult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, And it very much was, it very much was a cult. I'm someone who's very interested yeah. in cults uh, Same, yeah. now and I do, you know, watch a ton of documentaries and read a lot about it. And, you know, it, it's yeah. interesting. I think I'm interested in it because I see the parallels so very much. 
Um, it just was, yeah. Yeah. Well, and specifically, uh, the Westboro Baptist Church, anything I've learned about them has reminded me of my childhood. Wow. Which is intense. Dark. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really, really intense. So I was definitely, I, I hated myself right away because I figured out yeah. I was gay when I was like five. <laughs> That's when I figured oh, okay. out that I was gay. And I yeah. already knew. I already knew right then that being gay meant I was going to go to hell and there was nothing yeah. I could do to, you know, I, I've, I felt very powerless to, to change it and stayed in the closet for a long time. Um, and when I did come out, I came out to my mother and she, you know, essentially gave me at home gay conversion therapy uh, because right. we didn't have money to send those places cost money. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah, can't just do. your gay kid off if you don't have money. You got to yeah. do some stuff at home. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I was already very like sort of, I knew that there were things about myself that were different from, you know, people around me. Um, yeah. But I also had this idea that I think a lot of like evangelical circles really push that sin feels good. It's the first thing you hear about sin is that it feels good and you're going to want to do it. Right. Um, but don't do it. It's bad. So then it, you end up <laughs> under, it, it's so crazy. It's just like, yeah. oh, so, you know, sin is really good. So when, it feels really good. So when uh, you're when you're doing something that feels really good, you automatically have guilt. Yes. And you're like, this must be sin then. Yes. If I'm feeling good, I'm sinning. Yeah, absolutely. So terrible. What a terrible yeah. way to live life. Well, and <laughs> to it not live life. Yeah. Well, and it, as as a group, it also really uh they really put a lot of stock in martyrdom and being a martyr. And yeah. being willing to suffer for something um, and how that makes you better, uh, which really sets you up for abusive relationships because you can sure make does. yourself a martyr at the hands of your partner and feel like, like you're doing a good thing. Like deep down, this is a good thing that you're doing. Um, so it gives you a lot of really, uh, really terrible habits that you carry with you in life until you figure out why you're doing the same things over and over again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's religious trauma. Um, so yeah, I mean, I definitely, my religious trauma has definitely played a massive role in me being where I am now. Um, yeah. because initially I went to a dance with a friend of mine and my mom didn't want to let me go. And it, th this is the turning point of my entire life. <laughs> so there's a uh, homecoming dance. And my friend Megan, who lives right next door, asked me if I would go with her. Not like as a, it's funny because we were, we were both gay and we both liked each other. But that wasn't something, like we were both terrified of that possibility. So, you know. Yeah. So it was as a friend. He's asking <laughs> you as a friend. Yes. So I was homeschooled and not really allowed to have a lot of friends um, because, you know, worldly influences and all that. Yeah. But uh, my dad, for whatever reason, decided it was okay with him. And, you know, he's the head of the household. So he gets to make that decision. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I went to this dance and I met just like, I guess, sort of just like the emo or alternative kids at the dance, because that's who mm. my friend was friends with. 
and I met all of these people, basically all of those people turned out to be awful fuck boys. Like as just a fact, yeah. it turned out to be <laughs> the worst, but it introduced me to counterculture for starters. Yeah. Like, you know, all of these alternative people and being like, oh my gosh, I wish I could dress like that. And you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I couldn't really mm -hmm. understand. Um, yeah. so I met all these people and then, you know, I ended up spending time with the, that friend group and then met some other people that way. And then ended up in my first abusive relationship, which really kind of took me out of my home entirely. Um, mm -hmm. and then I was in the world <laughs> Yeah, and yeah, so it's really like the thing that like it just, my religious trauma led me to all of these places because I wanted things that I knew I wasn't supposed to, you know what I mean? And it just brought mm -hmm. me further and further away. Yeah. So like my whole life, like I, I'll still sometimes stop and be like, Oh my gosh, what would, what would me, you know, however many years ago feel about me now. Yeah. And honestly, I think she'd be really proud because the child yeah. who thought that, you know, I was evil because I was gay and right. randomly daydreamed about being a stripper like i'm pretty sure she'd be stoked on me <laughs> yeah totally yeah. totally well um, so i've got to ask the question now i mean if you were if you were raised in this uh you know obviously very strict evangelical cult church mm -hmm. the question is a little bit more it's a little different in these particular circumstances because like when and how were you made aware of pornography Mm. And when, when, and how was the first time you saw it for yourself? This is a really fun question. So I knew vaguely of porn because, uh, so <clears throat> my parents had, uh, they were full time in ministry, which meant that yeah. they didn't work. They literally preached in different churches. They led support groups for sex addicts. Ah, oh, lovely. It was interesting. Yeah, there's a lot. Especially what you like when you're in that environment, what you consider sex addiction. Absolutely. It's insane. No. It's insane. Yeah. I believe that people can be addicted to sex. I do. Orgasms are a really powerful thing. You can be addicted to that high. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That is not when you look at sex addiction through a Christian lens, it's fucking right. everyone, fucking everyone. If you've ever jerked off, you might be a sex addict. It's like that. Right. Exactly. It's yeah. completely ridiculous. Um, yeah. So already, you know, a tremendous amount of shame built around sex. But my mother was a narcissist and I was the, the child that she chose to parentify. Yeah. Um, so she was telling me things about their marriage and really trying to pit me against my father, but also just, mm -hmm. I was her best friend when I was a child and that it shouldn't yeah. be that way. It shouldn't be that way. No. So yeah, I, I was already learning things that I didn't fully understand. So I knew what porn was in that, like I, I had a general idea that it was, you know, pictures of, naked women but I didn't really I didn't have like a clear concept of it for a little while but then I remember when I was 12 we used to go fishing a lot dad and all the kids there was this one place that we liked to go fishing that was like 
a little bridge kind of in a rural area but there's this little bridge and there's this river that runs under it and my dad caught some good fish there so we went there and we were underneath the bridge and somebody had left feel like it was a hustler magazine just like <laughs> under the bridge <laughs> it was, oh yeah oh yeah it, you know, Corn gets left out in the wild i feel bad for kids today that they don't get the opportunity like we did to stumble upon porn in the woods because yes it was a magical time yes we talk about this all the time i don't know there's something like <laughs> obviously i'm not advocating that kids should see porn but they're no they're going but... to see it for the first time at some point and how yep. magical that it gets to be in the woods with all your friends or whatever yes yes yeah you just um, find but, it out in the wild I know I love it but my uh, <laughs> my mother somebody told her that it was under there and she came down and I think she like put it under the water she put a rock on top of it to like sink it down of course she said some <laughs> whole you know uh I rebuke you in the name of Jesus or some bullshit oh, about wow. it while she was doing it. it I mean it was always it was such a thing uh yeah, but I I definitely I I remember the spirit of it. I don't remember specifically what it was, but I remember mm. there was I had sort of this like dark feeling about it like um uh, I don't know, like maybe it was something fetishy, you know what I mean? Like uh, I don't hmm. I don't remember specifically, but I remember being like <laughs> what's that? Uh, <laughs> right. Naked women somehow. I don't know. So what did you, I mean, were you like curious or were you like shocked at the time? What is this? Or were you like, oh, this is, this is that porn that I keep hearing about? Or yes, it was definitely like, this is that porn that I keep hearing about, but also, you know, almost being afraid to fully perceive it because I already knew I was gay at that point. Right. And it felt like, like, oh my, like being confronted with it. Yeah. And of course being, you know, terrified that. I mean, because I've always had OCD. That's another thing that oh, I didn't yeah. realize is that I've always had OCD. So the thought stop, the internal trying to like thought stopping was a big thing for me. Um, yeah. Even just from my, you know, conversion therapy. <laughs> mm -hmm. It was very much like immediately trying to decide how I was reacting to it. And am I reacting right? And am I excited about seeing this? And I shouldn't be. And like, just all you yeah. know what I mean like just this yeah. existential thing mm -hmm. and then it like imprints a cycle in your mind so now you're just like no I'm not thinking the bad thoughts and then that makes your mind like think the bad thoughts and you're just yeah. constantly battling that like yeah yeah and I mean it you know OCD uh, definitely that it's plays a part but then take the OCD and add you know decades or however you know much time it was of this religious uh, concept of shame yeah being like forced into your mind uh, yeah. indoctrinated to you absolutely uh, it's got to be torture um <laughs> yeah, it was pretty so, rough i don't miss being a kid yeah. at all <laughs> yeah well it's nice to be 35 and be able to take stock and look back and be like whew i'm glad i oh, yeah. <laughs> overcame that stuff because the odds are stacked against you so it's good mm -hmm. so is that how like do you to this day do you identify as gay like what was that you know you said you just you knew this about yourself at, at five so yeah. was there some self-discovery around puberty or older um yeah so it's 
it's interesting because um, I did know I was gay right away. I didn't feel anything for boys at all. And then Mm. I kept everything to myself and it was easy to do that because I was so Mm. young. It was easy to do that. Um, And then, you know, I think probably around eight or nine is a, a time that it really started to become very difficult. Like emotionally, it was really difficult to to deal with. And I, I sort of yeah. blanked a lot of that time of my life. I don't remember a whole lot of that. Um, yeah. And then, you know, about the time, like when I told my mother that I was gay, I was 12. That, I mean, already so much time had passed and I had been trying to not be gay that whole time. I'd been trying so hard by myself, yeah. trying to fix it. And being like deep down knowing that I can't fix it and I'm going to hell. Like, you know, yeah. it was a whole thing. Yeah. so then, you know, once I came out to my mom and she's like, oh no, we can, we can get rid of it. You know what I mean? She yeah. was positive that Jesus could do it. So we spent a few years of basically me just faking it, which amounted to me being seeming boy crazy didn't have a boyfriend anyone like never actually it was always this like far away unrequited sort of thing you know but I I just I really put on the airs of being boy crazy and you know it's to some extent there's a fake it till you make it but it's it doesn't Mm -hmm. really it's, it's such a weird thing because it made me open to relationships with men when I was still pretty young. So my first relationships were with guys and I was Mm -hmm. just kind of, you know, I didn't know how a relationship was supposed to go in the first place because I wasn't allowed to have, you know, a boyfriend or any, I was not allowed. Um, so I didn't know what any of it was supposed to be like, and I'm gay. So I'm like, okay. Mm Um, I guess I'm just, you know, in it for, the, I'm just going to, you know, defer to the man basically and let him right. away because I don't know how to do any of this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you do that kind of thing long enough and it, it's at least, it at least feels normal. It doesn't feel true, but it feels normal. Right. Um, and then, you know, just being in that situation at all, I, I guess I started to I'm really, when it comes to men, I'm very, uh, what is it? Demisexual. Like I need to know you, you know, I need to know enough yep. of you and I need to know yep. pretty deep too, because you know, that's for me to want to have sex with a man. It is either because I, you know, deeply connect with who that person is yep. or it's, uh, a power play. Because a lot mm. of the, you know, like specifically when I was in my early twenties and I had my, my hoe phase, um, yeah. it was a lot of just <laughs> me trying to reclaim my own body and feeling like I could fucking have any man in this room if I want to. Like, yeah, because, and you know, obviously it's easier to do that with men because you know, yeah. deep down that a man will put his penis in a hole in anything. Yeah. It, does, yeah. it doesn't matter. So it's really yeah. easy to get a good power fix off of that because mm-hmm. you know you can rack them up if you really want to. True, yeah. Whereas women are terrifying because I actually give yeah. a shit. That's, that's the problem. Yeah. I actually care. 
Um, so, you know, and then I ended up in a lot of situationships with men that were really Mm -hmm. controlling and toxic and yeah, it was a whole thing. So my relationship with my sexuality is strange. Like I, I still feel a great deal of connection to being a lesbian because that's the way I was born. But, you know, I think conditioning and whatnot has maybe blurred some lines in terms of, you know, being like demisexual or in certain areas, but like, Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, the sexuality is such Mm -hmm. a diverse thing. So half the time I just say that I'm queer or I just say that I'm gay. Pansexual feels, you know, okay, but it still doesn't feel quite right. Cause it's like, well, yeah, but there's like an yeah. exception thing here. There's like yes. only this with the exception of this, you know, it's, it's yeah. But saying I'm gay is like a really quick way. It feels good. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I uh, relate deeply <laughs> cause I, I do feel very similar. Um, or maybe I feel uh, slightly heteroromantic, perhaps, but okay. I, I wouldn't say for sure. I would right. say that's what it feels like I tend to lean in, into, um, but like very homosexual. Yeah, <laughs> like, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. So when it does come to men, you know, beyond just like my male partner who um, I just – love like the whole picture of but beyond that when it comes to men it's just like either there has to be something I know Mm -hmm. so I know you well and I have this attraction to like part of your personality or part of like Mm -hmm. a bond we've developed or like I have to be super impressed by like they're really, really intelligent or they're musical or they're creative or yeah. uh, something like that. And then I'll, and I'm like, okay, I'm very attracted to that, Absolutely. you know, but it's not, it's not fucking definitely not like, oh, you, you work out in the gym three times a day and you're really cut or whatever. I'm just like, well, right. I'm impressed with your dedication, right. but like, that's not what attracts me, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, that's what I, I think that, that demi or sapiosexuality just when it comes to mm-hmm. men. Um, well, and compulsory and then, heterosexuality really did a number on a lot of women. Like a absolutely. lot of women it, are, you know, <clears throat> spent so much of their life performing heterosexuality. And then it, it becomes yeah. difficult to even differentiate between your performance and who you are, because you've been trying to convince yourself that, your performance is who you are, but it isn't. And where are the lines? What is really me? And what is me performing heterosexuality? To navigate that for any human, I think is a whole thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, but you know. there's a lot of like late in life lesbians, like yes, who most of their lives being in relationships with men and then realize mm-hmm. how much of it is just, you know, and part of it has to do with our society in large, you of know, um, catering to men. So it just becomes oh, yeah. like another aspect of that. Yeah. And just the values that we place on certain relationships or whatever. But Mm -hmm. yeah. And sometimes it happens opposite too. Like, um, so my mom has a lot like friends and family that 
uh, started out, they were lesbians, they were in gay relationships. And I, this little part of my heart, you know, when I was younger and I knew who I was a little bit and I was just like, oh, I love that. I love that yeah. these are that they're lesbians. And then they broke up and they got in uh, at least heteronormative relationships. And this little part of me was <laughs> always like, about it. You, yeah. you traitor, how, did, how dare you? <laughs> obviously now I look back and I'm like oh they're just they fell in love with the person that they fell in love with you know I I don't think it was ever that they were that they felt that they needed to do the heteronormative thing but you know to my burgeoning little gay heart I was like well you know when I was a child I never I would not have had any concept of being gay something that you're I don't want to say encouraged, but allowed to be. So yeah, the idea yeah. of going from, you know, one to another, the opposite way is, it's just, I, I believe it, but it's just, it's so outside of my experience, which is being forced into one box. Exactly. And then, yeah. You know, exactly. versus having the freedom to be gay and not have to apologize for it in the first place is like, whoa, where yeah. did that happen? That's a fantasy from my perspective. Yeah, I know. Well, I'm so happy you can. We live in a world where you can be that now. Absolutely. Um, I mean, at least, yeah. And the other, and and so I get you too with like, what do you just tell? You know, what? How do you identify? And you're just like, oh, can I write you an essay about it? Right. You know. Um, that's how I, so, but that's why I love using for, for me, I love using queer because mm-hmm. I feel like it encapsulates so much of me as a person beyond just my sexuality. And so that's, you know, because I, my sexuality runs all these different directions, but I read something recently about, you know, uh, some older folks, uh, feel that queer used to be this pejorative term for us. So maybe they don't like it or whatever. And sort of, I guess the politics of the word queer Mm -hmm. and, you know, someone described it as like queer is just, it's, it doesn't mean just, you know, I'm gay or whatever. It means that I am sort of like a rebel to society that I uh, celebrate diversity that I, you know, I choose or, or that I am this person that is just, kind of like at the fringes with the way that I live my life in so many different aspects, um, that it's yeah. colorful, that it's diverse, that it's, you know, interesting. Inclusive. <laughs> yeah. Inclusive and, and all yeah. of that. And I'm like that, that, you know, the queer are the people who have to like, you know, we have to fight for some things for our identities and we had to traverse through these difficulties like you know like your story and to arrive at this place of being like I am queer I am not in that mold you know and so that's why I I really love the the word and and I think when you say it too it does it it invokes a picture of a variety of gender expressions of sexual expressions of all of these things and I'm like that's that's the image that that's the way I identify that's the way I think of myself and the people that I run with and love and all that. So, yeah. No, I I definitely feel that way too. When I, when I think queer, I definitely think like a whole range of like lifestyles, like not just whether or not you like this or that, but right. Yeah. Who you Um, go to bed with. It's, it's less of who you go to bed with and more, 
yeah, just like deeper. It's like things. describes yeah. more than just that. It describes a bunch of things. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Yay, queer. Uh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I definitely feel like I could talk to you for a few more hours, but we should yeah. answer some questions. From okay. Advice questions. You Let's down do for that? I'm All excited. Right. Yeah. All right. Here we go with question number one from FG. Good evening. I hope you're doing well. So my question is mostly pertaining to the technical aspects of orgasms and clitoral stimulation because I can't seem to do it. At mm. almost 29, having never orgasmed, I don't understand why I can't. I can only use stimulation to my clitoris because I have an imperforate hymen mm. and need and need to have surgery to be able to do anything penetration wise. I just don't know if I'm doing it wrong or something. So I'm so obviously this is a person with a, a vulva. Yeah. And yeah, I think that people with vulvas, it is extremely common to struggle to reach orgasm. Um, so real quick, I want to talk about there is a podcast and I'm, I'm such an asshole because of course I can't remember what it's called, <laughs> but I think there's a few and you could probably just Google like podcast about getting the orgasm for the first time, uh, because it's been like a journey for so many people mm -hmm. with vulvas that it's so common. There's, there's a lot of at least ways to relate to people about that no, through absolutely. podcasts and blogs and, and stuff like that. It's a journey that a lot of, you know, women have gone on. But before I start bloviating away, tell me what your, <laughs> what would you, what advice would you um, give to this person? I think a couple of things are really important. Um, first of all, I, I definitely think, you know, doing research and finding communities of people who have also experienced this is great. But I think the first thing you have to do is take the pressure off of yourself um, oh, yeah. and accept yourself. You know what I mean? Like, I think that somewhere in there, it, it's good to just let yourself off the hook so that you can experiment and not because so much of an orgasm is mental anyway. So yep. much. if I'm not in the right headspace, you cannot make me come. It will not happen. And, you know, I think that's also true for a lot of people. And I think that being able to just experiment, it becomes a lot easier when you're not focusing on making the orgasm happen. If you're just focusing yes. on what feels good and pleasure. You know, if you want to watch content or if you want to just fantasize and allow yourself to do that, don't have any doors, you know what I mean? Like doors locked yeah. in your brain. Like I can't think about that. If mm -hmm. you can accept yourself fully and not be too goal oriented about it and experiment, yeah. I think you can get a long way. I think a lot of, there's definitely people who know way more about this than me, but a lot of what I hear, you know, from those people too, has to do with self-acceptance and yeah. experimenting um, and mm -hmm. just not judging yourself, just letting yourself enjoy it for you and not think about how you look while you're doing it or Ugh. anything like that. Um, yeah. Not being self-conscious. So just being by yourself 
and just experimenting and see what feels good to you and then lean into that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's huge. Um, I love when you said like not going into it goal oriented. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such the big, you know, thinking in your head, okay, I'm going to sit down. Today's the day I'm going to get that orgasm. Then you're not, you're not focusing on the pleasure. You're not focusing on just relaxing. I mean, when people talk about masturbating, it's like, it helps me relax or it helps me go to bed. Like the goal should be sort of, yeah, relaxing. And the goal should just be pleasure. Absolutely. Follow that pleasure. Start like with sensation and what feels good. You know, just touching your own body doesn't have to be like, let's get the hand straight on the clitoris. Right. It's like, well, how does it feel when you touch your breasts if you have them or play with your nipples or, you know, fucking finger your belly button? You know, I, right. You know, like, have you tried these things? Like, where are your little pleasure centers? Yeah. Well, and it might be difficult too to realize, because if you've never had an orgasm, maybe you don't know that it is a process. Nobody Mm -hmm. goes from, you know, masturbation (laughs) and then suddenly you're having an orgasm. You build, it's all about building on, Mm -hmm. you know, if it feels good and lean lean into that and listen to your body. But yeah, it's not just going to come and get you out of nowhere. You will feel a build happening. Right. And I, and, and so just, but to get to, so mental, let's, so we're starting with the mental stuff and like, you want to make sure you're in a place where you can just focus on yourself. A lot of people say like drop into your body. So mm. think about like what what am I feeling like temperature wise? What am I feeling when I touch my skin? Is it soft? Is it it's they're kind of like meditation techniques where yeah. you're being present. So when your mind starts to go like, yeah, but I'm thinking about the dishes and I got to, you know, go to the post office tomorrow and it's like, okay, wait bring it back into your body. What are you feeling right now? Uh, And all of that is very, you know, it's important and it's wonderful and and it's a good way, but let's talk a little more technically. So the first thing when I hear people, so I've actually been a guest on a podcast who was a a person who was trying to find their first orgasm. Oh, wow. And all this different research and stuff. And you know, the first thing I always say is, have you ever tried a magic wand? Mm. Have you? It's sixty to seventy dollars. Um, you can get them on Amazon, but you have to be a little careful. I literally just go to magicwand.com or whatever to like their main real website because you there's yeah. a lot of fake ones. Oh yeah. Um, you want to make sure you're getting like the legitimate magic wand. Sadly, Hitachi no longer makes them. It's so sad. It's so sad because my first my first Hitachi magic wand lasted me like 10 years and my second magic wand lasted me probably like three months. <laughs> my Hitachi just died like yeah. last week. Yeah. My OG yeah. died it's last like they- they literally don't make them like they used to, no, um, no. sadly. But they still, as long as you are getting, don't get the rechargeable motherfucker. Like you get the mm-hmm. one where the plug goes from the wand into the wall. Yes. Two settings, low and high, and that is it. That's right. Um, and so I always ask this question first. You know, I asked that lady, I'm like, have you tried the magic wand? And she's like, no, I never tried it. And I'm like, you, oh you my got God. it. Oh my like, God. What are you doing? You do it right now. <laughs> 
Like for real. Uh, so, yeah. Um, and now this this particular person cannot do penetrative stuff. Right. Uh, but you know, I'll just say my own thing. What I like to do is get that old vibrator. You know, it's sleek silver. You twist the base and it starts to vibrate. Oh, you know, gosh, yeah. pointy at the top. I mean, basic bitch vibrator. But mm -hmm. when you turn it up all the way, it has a C battery in there and it just nice wow. and rumbly. And if I play with that, like penetration wise a little bit and I start getting myself there and then I get the magic wand and I just put it on low. So I've got vibration coming from the inside and then I put the wand sort of on the top of my clit, like uh, the northern zone right. so rather than directly on it, which will just make me my skin crawl. You know, you lose your Same. mind. Um, yeah. And then so like those two, the vibrations come to meet together in, in this like incredible orgasm. But, you know, you don't need that. You don't need the internal stuff. The internal stuff doesn't do it for me at all. Like I have to have uh, clitoral stimulation and it's always just above. It's not on. Yes, it's yes. just above. Just above. Like hood area, like top of the hood area. Yeah. But of course, again, we are all, every vulva is so different. It's a beautiful yes. snowflake. And we just have to find with the exploration, mm -hmm. the patience, you know, forgiving yourself for not getting it right away is totally fine Yeah, to, to, uh, figure it out, to figure out what, where the pleasure is for us. Yeah. So, but I, I do say, you know, that external with the, uh, because here's the other thing I, I hate when, you know, people with vulvas, you know, I grew up with this too, that it was just like, I started having sex with, uh, penises and it's like, well, I imagine that the orgasm would just happen. Like, why aren't these penises yeah, just no. giving me an orgasm? <laughs> and so it, it's, it's like we all of pop, pop culture, all movies that we see, you just have an orgasm without yeah. having to use any tools or anything. And it's just, that's not reality for no, like not. about 70% of the people with vulvas. And yeah. that's, we're the majority. Um, right. And so don't have those expectations of yourself. Like, oh, it should just be like easy peasy, like in the movies. Like, no. It's, no, is, it's not no. like that for anybody. <laughs> yeah. A few people, maybe. I've seen some people that I'm like, what? I'm jealous. Of course. <laughs> oh, some people like can do sit-ups and have orgasms. And I'm like, man, that must Not be up. nice. <laughs> For oh, real. God, it could never be me. <laughs> it never be me. Could never be me. But oh, no, uh, you're on medication. Okay. Yeah. If you're on medication, that makes that a big difference too. Huge. Yes. Yeah. So are you on medication, listener? Like you know, you need to recognize that that can have a major effect on your ability to orgasm. Um, so maybe talk to your doctor about that. If you are on medications, you should ask these yeah. questions and don't be shy. They're doctors. Like, but I, but again, like I just always say, get the magic wand and at least try it. If you try it and it's too intense, put on a pair of panties. If it's still too intense, put on a pair of jeans or leggings, use right. it over that. If it's not intense enough, then, uh, again, like try the other elements, you know, maybe you can't penetrate yourself fully, but you can take your other hand and play with the outside of your vulva or mm -hmm. the entrance of your vulva. Sometimes well, that the actually extends on either side. You can, yes. the whole thing. The whole thing. So your clitoris has, you know, your little nub, but then not only does it extend 
like around the sides, but inside as well. Like mm-hmm. that is clitoris. Like when people talk about G spot and internal orgasms, it's it's all the same. Yeah, uh, organ of your body, the pleasure organ of your of you know your body, but they express themselves in different ways, and yeah. it has to be. You have to experiment to find what works for you. You know, my, so for me, it's definitely vibrations. When I have those deep rumbly vibrations. That's what can get me there. Other people prefer that lighter, buzzy vibration, a smaller toy that just makes a more buzzy sound and you can just press it on the top of your clit and like that's what you like. Or maybe you do want to pull pull it back on your hood and mm-hmm. press a little buzzy vibrator directly on your clit. Like for me, I'm like, wow, that would be way yeah. too much. <laughs> but for some, for some people with vulvas, it's like that's what you love. So yeah. You know, I hope you're not, again, like too hard on yourself or feeling like it's this chore of this thing that you've got to accomplish and that you can try to, like we're talking about leaning into various things, like explore yourself, you know, maybe you could fucking buy yourself flowers and set up a bath and put some rose petals in it and, you know, another, exactly, romance yourself. Like it's crazy Mm -hmm. how much, you know, set and setting have, um, on our experiences. And another way to mess around in the tub is turn on the faucet and then like mosey your pussy right up under that faucet of, you know, warm water (laughs) and just lean back and enjoy the sensation. And maybe it'll take you there and maybe it won't, but it's a really nice feeling either way. So just find your pleasure. I think that's really the the goal is just find Absolutely. the pleasure and follow it. And I yes. have no doubt you can get there. And gosh, you know, listener, I would love for you to uh, do the magic wand, mess with it for a couple of months. Please write me back. Like, oh, I want to yes. know if it worked. Yes. I want to. I will be very it. excited to know. I'm going to stay tuned for yeah. that. Yes. <laughs> All right. Oh, but but the way you you ended it, I just don't know if I'm doing it wrong. There's no right or wrong way. That's the main thing. So just have fun and feel good with it. <laughs> All right. So uh, let's move on to the next question. This is from Flip. All right. Hello, Sin. Outside of the X-Files, what's a favorite hobby of yours? And then for your guest, is there a hobby outside of the industry that you are a total geek over? So yeah, for me, obviously, like X Files is it's it's not even a hobby, or maybe it's a hobby, maybe it's just like a an obsession, a, a fairly lifelong obsession. Uh, <laughs> but I have other hobbies, um, even though a lot of my life it's like I watch a lot of TV, TV shows, movies. I love analyzing um, movies and television. I think it's really fascinating stuff. And I love horror. Horror movies is my jam. Weird, disturbing stuff. I'm into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I love to snowboard, even if I can only do it like once a year, once or twice every other year. It's quite a quite an effort, but I love it. I don't know. I like some I like yoga and mindfulness stuff. Um, I, you know, dabble in that from time to time. Uh, but yeah, sometimes I'm like, man, I really need to get more like tangible hobbies 
All right. Do I? I don't know. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, whatever throws your own boat, you know, whatever makes yeah. you happy. That's like the point. Um, yeah, exactly. We have a lot of what about you? in common. Uh, yeah. The horror I really do love, like disturbing, upsetting horror. That's like a thing that yeah. I really do. Same. I'm, I'm not sure where it comes from because in real life, I don't like that. I don't like disturbing things. But <laughs> Right. But yeah, I don't movies? know. Fuck me up. I want to be fucked. How? What you yes. got from me? You think yes, you can fuck me absolutely. up? Let's go. I don't know. <laughs> I should want to kill myself a little bit after consuming yeah. a movie if I'm doing it yes. the way I want to. So I really, I really am into. Uh, I like documentaries about cults and you know mm-hmm. true crime cases. I read yes. a lot of uh, true crime books. I prefer to have my true crime as factual as possible, which is part of why yeah. I like documentaries, but books are even better because the people writing the books are doing an extensive amount of research and consulting with victims and their families and yeah. stuff. So I really, I really like that. Uh, I'm an artist. I make all kinds of different things. I'm working on a Magikarp hat right now. <laughs> yeah, like a cosplay, like do you make like costumes and like you sew and stuff too? Or? Um, I do sew as well. I'm I'm a little newer at that. That's something I need a little more practice at. Um, but I do some sewing too. I do cross stitch. I do embroidery. I paint. I watch a lot of TV as well. I really do. I'm always yeah. like trying to watch a movie, you know, or yep. a TV show. And I do love like thinking very critically about all of the media that I consume. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, analyzing and overanalyzing everything. And some some people don't love watching movies with me because of the way I do that. Um, I'm so into actually, that. Oh man, it's really it's love sad that I have to be like, no, listen, I liked the movie. I'm just saying it did these things fundamentally wrong. But I love the movie. <laughs> but like, I'm just saying. oh, in that way. Okay, okay, I got you. I'm a little more in the way of like. What do you think this means? You know, right. what do you think this movie means or whatever? So uh, the other thing I love doing after I watch a movie that makes me think a lot, I mean, it, like a romantic comedy or something, I'm like, yeah, whatever, that was fine or right. bad. But if I'm watching like a movie, like a film, mm-hmm. I finish it and I'm like, oh my gosh, okay, what do I think it means? And what do I think these moments, the you know, director, or the writer was trying to like convey. And then I love going on YouTube and being like, all right, who's got a video for me about this yeah. movie? Like- <laughs> I love that. No, that is really legit. I also just do a yeah. lot of research. Like I'll go through the whole IMDb. I'm reading all of yeah. the trivia. Yeah. I'm looking at reviews so I can yes. see like, you know, I get a general sense of like, okay, so if a movie is particularly like progressive, for example, and I go and I see ratings that are like one star, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to hear what they had a problem with in the movie. Right, uh, right. There's always some, or if I loved a movie and it has bad ratings, I'm like, now what are you talking about? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what, what's Damn. the problem here? <laughs> yes, I like um, to so, that. Yeah, I do a lot of research into stuff that I watch after I've watched yeah. it. Hours yeah. into the night that I'm just on my phone, just learning more about the movie. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, I do have to make one movie recommendation. So two things, like, I think maybe after we watch a movie, you should be my texting movie friend. And I'll be like, did you yes. see this? I do love the same that. For me. So I can chat a little bit about it. 
please yeah. because I'm oh. always like I'll watch a movie by myself that like disturbs me yeah. to my core and I'm just like yes existing with this now I just know this yeah. now. <laughs> and you feel like you want to talk about it so yeah I'll be that person for you we can oh like, I love that club, movie club <laughs> yes please I, I love, love that but uh this movie that we just saw is called poor things mm, and I see for that I'm saying this because I want the word to get out there. Like, I, I want people to watch this movie. It is fucking incredible. There is uh, so many, there's commentary in this movie about so many different things. But uh, but uh, without giving too much away, there's there's this, sex work is a big part of it. And I it's brilliant and it makes you think a lot. And uh, it's visually intriguing and artistic it's very like artistic obviously with the content but also just visually like it looks really cool and mm -hmm. um, so yeah I would encourage everyone to go and check it out and you can uh, write me and tell me what you think about it because it is one of those movies where you could really talk a lot about it like we get out of the movie and I turn to Drake and I'm just like okay so what do you think it was about you know yeah. and I it's so fun to talk about. So highly recommend. Okay. And I've been meaning to, but I've been, I've been sort of waiting for like the push. So I, yes. I'm giving I'm it. I'm giving it to you right now. Okay. It's brilliant. Yes. I and also it was crazy. Now. Like I saw it in, uh, we were in Portland at the time and we went to a movie theater. And so it wasn't like an AMC or whatever. It was like a cool, you know, hip movie theater. Right. And we were, when we first walk in there, we're like, okay, there's maybe like five or six of us. By the time the movie starts, that theater is packed full oh of people. Goodness. And this was like a 315 showing. Wow. So it was just crazy. I'm like, I have not been in a movie theater this packed since I was in high school, probably. It's like, crazy. It, it's crazy. So sometimes, you know, yeah, you want to get out there and like, do stuff out in the I world and, and i and that's what was neat too is watching it with the theater full of people it's so cool to we are all feeling the same things you know yeah. like so there are these moments you know where it's like a certain you know comments about sex work or something in the theater and you know we're all there's the whole theater like there's people uh, clapping and cheering and stuff that's and just, nice yeah, like, that's yeah, nice feeling. so yeah encourage you go out and see that movie I don't have to be in the theater you can watch it at home, but I'll probably watch it at home, but I will watch it. <laughs> yeah, it'll be great. Wow. Well, thank you so much, uh, Amanda, for being on my little podcast yeah. and we had a great conversation. And um, I'm just, I'm really uh, honored. And so thank you again. And so please tell all of my listeners where they can find you and your work and follow you and also uh, spend money to support you and your art. Um, so I'm on basically every uh, social media platform as Ms. Amanda Marie, two Zs. I'm all over the places that I always make a point to get in and get my username as soon as I hear about the existence of a social media platform. Um, so I'm everywhere. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Blue Sky, which I'm really enjoying. Um, and I'd like to see that become bigger. Me too. Yeah. Um, and of course, you know, links to all of my content exist on those places. Um, but I'm on Clips for Sale and many vids and OnlyFans all under the same username too. So it's pretty easy to find me across the board. You put my name in Google and you'll see all the ways. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, I sell a lot of uh, content and I've been webcamming again uh, lately and that's been on many vids. So you could buy my content oh. in the same place. You can see me on cam. Okay. Cool. Well, I hope everybody gets out there and um, you can watch her camming or buy some content and support yeah. support her work in art. And uh, I am Sin Sage, as always. You spell sin with two N's. So I'm at Sin Sage on all the social media kind of stuff. Sometimes I'm at Real Sin Sage. Uh, you know how the things go. Uh, I have yeah. a link tree too. So it's like Linktree is funny. The address, you know, I think you just go Linktree Sensage on Google. You can find all my links. But the most important thing relating to this podcast is that I need your questions. I need you to ask me and my guest question, uh, advice questions about sex, about relationships, about pornography. Uh, if you ever have questions about how this stuff is made, how we all do what we do, uh, I would call myself an expert in the topic. So please uh, send your questions in to sinsagepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we need them all the time. So yeah, please send them in there, sinsagepodcast at gmail.com. And get out there and follow Ms. Amanda Marie and follow me in all the places if you aren't already. And thank you so, so much for listening. Please tell your friends. Now get out there and live authentically.